2: My god! Is it. What's going on here? I, I had a hard idea. That's Ryan Tannehill. It's entrance music. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't think the crowd knows how to respond. I don't think they know what to do. What?
1: Welcome to Three Yards per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now here's your hosts, Chris, Alf and Simon.
2: And welcome to a very meaty edition of Three Yards Per Carry. I'm your host, Alfredo Arteaga. I have Chris Kaufman here. I do not have Simon Clancy because he's dealing with a personal matter. And before we get into all the things that we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about Ryan Tannehill. We're going to talk about the Colts in the second half of the show. I'm going to introduce a new sponsor to the show, and that's AutoNation, our biggest one yet. Since AutoNation is America's largest automotive retailer, chances are they have the vehicle you're looking for. Shop for over 100,000 new cars, trucks, vans, and sports utilities. From the luxury of a Mercedes-Benz to the Chevy pickup truck you always wanted, they've got it. AutoNation helps finance over 430,000 people every single year. And you could be next. Get a great rate today. AutoNation strives to make the car buying process quick and easy, but most of all, stress-free. In addition to an extensive selection, all pre-owned vehicles go through a rigorous 125-point inspection and come with an everyday low, no-haggle price. One price, no pressure. Guaranteed. Start your search right now at autonation.com. Well, Chris, there was football played on Monday. And there was 14 touchdowns. Three of them were defensive. 100 yards, eight sacks. Seven turnovers, one hundred and five points. Let me throw this question out to you: Over under 0.5 of the teams that were playing on Monday, make the Super Bowl. Go. Uh, over. Really? Uh, <laughs> by which the way, have, have which one or both have have the Dolphins scored
3: fourteen touchdowns this year?
2: I don't know. I don't even want to get into it <laughs> to be honest with you.
3: I I just I have to I have to ask that question. I, <laughs> I, I don't know that they have. I, I I feel compelled to check, but I'm not sure that they Well, have. they
2: haven't scored none in the last two. So well, I mean, yeah. Uh, right well, uh, they did score one against the Jets.
3: They, they, okay, they scored. That's right. It was a – was it, it was was an, an offensive touchdown? touchdown?
2: No, it was a defensive touchdown.
3: It was a defensive touchdown. Yeah, but this game count. did
2: have three defensive touchdowns, so.
3: Does it count?
2: <laughs> well, you get six points for them. Oh, man.
3: I have to look this up. I feel compelled uh, on this. There were 14 touchdowns, you say, in that game.
2: Yes, there was 14 touchdowns in that game. (sighs) That's incredible. Which sounds insane, doesn't it?
3: The Miami Dolphins have, okay, I have it right here. They have 16 receiving or 16 passing touchdowns and three rushing touchdowns. Uh, Also, a punt return touchdown, kick return touchdown, interception touchdown, Jerome Baker.
2: Um, that's 23 so,
3: so that yeah that's that's uh that's 22 22 actually
2: okay well you see so we're
3: we have done better in 10 games than uh <laughs> slightly than than the rams and chiefs did in one game
2: okay so, so you have that's it at, something you have it at over which
3: let's go miami
2: <laughs> which team or both make the super bowl
3: I I think if if there if there is a god then then it'll be it'll be both of those teams or possibly sub out the Rams for the um for the the Saints because they're very I didn't mean I I said that this should be the Super Bowl but you know I don't mean to slight the Saints because they are an exciting and excellent team this year um but you know it should be one of those two and the Kansas City Chiefs there's there's no way it shouldn't be I mean I know they got the loss by three points even though the Rams actually have a defense and um and Kansas City doesn't really they still only you know three points away uh but it sh- I mean Kansas City should be in the AFC I I would just absolutely hate to see like New England somehow get a bunch of officiating calls go their way in a playoff game and then Kansas city not make it there.
2: Well, there's one team you're overlooking and that's the on fire Pittsburgh Steelers.
3: Yeah. yeah. On fire is right. I mean, they have one six in a row, but I don't know. I don't know if I buy it quite yet. Not in the same way that I buy in the Kansas city.
2: Well, let me say this. I thought that their win against the Jaguars and I watched most of that game was very, very impressive. And you would say, "Wait a minute! The Jaguars are are complete trash," and they yep, were up. That, 16- that,
3: that, that's about it. You got it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they up. They were up sixteen to nothing. But I found it very, very impressive how the Steelers could go from looking completely lifeless to just running up enough points just to win at right at yeah. the end against a that's, team that really has their number.
3: Is that is that really impressive, or is that just you know what we generally saw each week in 2016 and? For the Miami Dolphins, or you know, parts of twenty seventeen and parts of 20, uh, uh, 2018, too. It's, it's kind of our mo. I mean, we kind of we kind of own that, don't we?
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. Of course. But I mean, it's the
3: only way we do win. We don't win by blowing anybody out. No, we don't. Very and rarely G- is- Adam Gaze is what? What is? What's the total record now? It's um, twenty five and twenty five or something like that. Yes. So, so, something probably like twenty two times that's exactly how we've won,
2: <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see both, but I think it really has to do with where these teams play. uh The Patriots can run off plenty of wins here down the stretch, and oh, yeah, if the Chiefs have to play in New England, I'm sorry, I, I bet the Patriots money line if I have to
3: if the chiefs if the chiefs have to play in new England, you th- you'd bet the Patriots yes. Mm.
2: You know they beat him once already, and you got to figure, man, Belichick will have something for Mahomes, so Mahomes will only throw five touchdowns in the game and not seven. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And three hundred and fifty yards and not four hundred and eighty. So well,
3: I'll I'll say this they though: they find
2: a way. They find a way, and that Chiefs defense is so bad that you got to figure Tom Brady does enough with at that point a, a healthy Sony Michelle.
3: Yeah. I I I don't figure on that. Not in the not in the playoffs. But I mean, unless it's the I mean, people talk about Andy Reid in and, in the playoffs sometimes. Although he didn't seem to have a problem in the playoffs. I I didn't think with Philadelphia. Right? I mean, he he made a Super Bowl. He made a Super Bowl. I mean, that's that's something. I don't know about. Uh, oh, didn't they didn't they make it to like three straight or you know something like that? Three or four straight um, a, 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 NFC championships. I thought. Yeah, he did. He, did. Uh, yeah, he that problem. The
2: problem in the playoffs was Alex Smith. Let's, yeah. let's
3: be real about it. Well, that. I mean, the yeah, that. Um, I mean, the, the, he had a reputation, a little bit of a reputation, I think, uh, in Philadelphia for not being able to quite get to that Super Bowl, you know. And, uh, um, but he did, he did win like a fair amount in the playoffs.
2: Yeah, I think it's it's going to be where they have to play because uh, Although the Patriots have lost before at home. Well, right,
3: right. now they start – so what What it is, though, is you figure the Patriots have a game against the Steelers coming up. Yeah. Um,
2: And that's basically – They're
3: one game behind the Chiefs already.
2: Yeah. So I think that that game, Patriots-Steelers, is basically loser can forget about the Super Bowl this year. Yeah. Because it, I think it's so top – the AFC is so top-heavy that it's really going to come down to home field advantage. And if if the Chiefs can grab it, then, yeah, I, I see them mm-hmm. in the Super Bowl. Now, the Rams, different story. Because I think that the the Saints, you look at their schedule, although I do have them losing in two weeks to the Dallas Cowboys. Mm-hmm. They could put up such a number that – and the Rams don't have a cakewalk. They could put up such a number where they're going to have home field advantage. And nobody beats that team in that dome. Nobody does. Yeah. So I would say the Saints are in. Into
3: mm-hmm. the Super Bowl?
2: The yeah, over the Rams.
3: Because mm-hmm.
2: I trust they're going to win enough. They're going to have home field advantage.
3: They are on a tear. I kind of got a sense for that last year when they lost the way that they did in the in the, in the playoffs. And they shouldn't have. And, uh, and you kind of, you know, I don't know. You just got to feel that. They're gonna, they're gonna grow and as a team, especially with some of the young players on, on the team in general, but on the defense and you know, Alvin Kamara and stuff like that, and uh, and they're gonna they're gonna go through this year with a vengeance and and really, really do some damage, which they're doing. Uh, yeah, I think what's, just,
2: what's striking in all this is how many good NFC teams there are, and how many striking
3: in all this is how many good teams there are in general that look entirely better than we do yes but that's
2: (laughs) but that goes without saying the good thing is that Uh, we play in the AFC and there's really only three teams that you can look at and say wow they're they're pretty good and I think that we play maybe the fourth best team this week which is kind of interesting because five weeks ago we didn't see it that way no not at all yeah but well it in this game this Kansas City LA game, the over under was sixty three and a half, and if you really? had the, yes, and if you had the, it was higher it was the than that. Highest, it was the highest total in I think it was nine years.
3: Yeah, in um, the NFL, they put up the you know they put up the, the numbers. I remember, and it was it looked like if they had gotten so you, we were all thinking it when um, when the Rams scored that touchdown, that go ahead touchdown. Uh, I think they left about a minute forty-four or something like that left on the clock for Pat Mahomes to to bring him down and possibly get the game tying field goal. And if they did, you know, play it in the the um, overtime, that field goal plus whatever happened if they had scored like I think five points in overtime, like somebody would have gotten a touchdown maybe yeah. in overtime, then that would have done it. That would have been that would have been the record, I think. Um, they were because that they were about eight points away. I thought so. That's that's how I I, I thought it would go, uh, but it didn't didn't end up uh, didn't end up fading. Uh, Samson Ebikham had a uh, different idea. I believe that was the one where he, he hit Pat Mahomes' arm and uh, and yeah. ball came out funny and uh, and so it was intercepted. And then by the time they got the ball back, they were really pressing because they had like no almost no time left. So uh yeah that the, it was too bad too bad for Kansas City the way it ends you get the you get the sense that you know Pat Mahomes being as godly as he is um is the team is still a little bit young he's still a little bit young and um and maybe the Rams are a little bit a little bit further ahead uh especially on defense
2: Yeah absolutely Some of those players Yeah yeah, and, and I think that they have a little bit better plan, really, going forward, because you know how the Rams are going to beat you. And the Chiefs really only beat you behind Pat Mahomes' arm. And trust me when I tell you, that game is coming. The game is coming where he's not going to be as godly. And if it comes in the playoffs, they lose. It's as simple as that. But I could see the Rams having a game from Jared Goff, where he throws for less than 250 yards, but Gurley runs for 180, and they win.
3: Well, you know what, you know what's scary about the Chiefs though and Pat Mahomes is they've got the two losses, right? But they've both of those losses were tight. And both of them happened like so this one was 51-54 the last one was 40 to 43 against New England in New England. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're not on, you're not on shaky ground saying New England would win at home. Um but uh, but no basically when
2: they no Michelle in that game too. Remember? Yeah,
3: but basically when they when they get when, when they get taken to the ropes like you know are taken uh, taken deep into the game and, and get scored on a lot and uh, and it looks like somebody's really really going to pound them on def- particularly on their defense. Um, Pat Mahomes and the offense rise up and they keep it tight or they make it they make it a game of it right to the very last second and uh and they either come out ahead or they um you know or they just barely lose and that makes you wonder if if they're gonna have the game really when like you said where pat mahomes just never gets anything going it it makes me think that if you start scoring 35 on them they're gonna score you know
2: yeah, they're gonna Somewhere stay around within, 35. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna stay within striking distance for Tyreek Hill to get b- behind your defense. Yeah, because they're that good. 30, 40 yards and catch a touchdown.
3: Yeah, they're, they are that good. Um, Pat Mahomes is that good. He's uh, he's this new generation's, you know, we've talked about it earlier. He's
2: this new generation's Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, we talked about it uh, before on the WhatsApp chat that we have mm-hmm. every single day, where all these years we've been saying that Aaron Rodgers was the king of of the arm talent guys oh, yeah. and yeah. that nobody I have never seen. And I saw that I saw Dan Marino's entire career. Yeah. I have never seen anybody do with a football, what Aaron Rodgers can do until now. Mm. <laughs> I found the other guy.
3: Yeah. I mean, Pat Mahomes has that sort of arm talent. Uh, absolutely. And I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. So Dan to me did have an incredible amount of arm, ta- arm talent and, yes, um, and, you know, I hate to say this because I'm not saying that there hasn't been a player as good because I have the utmost respect for Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, um, and Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees, but, um, you know, Aaron Rodgers aside, you know, aside from Aaron Rodgers, they're, they're, I don't know that any of them, uh, have quite given me the same feeling when I'm watching as, as Dan Marino, but, um, and and until Pat Mahomes came along and so now it's 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 just a different feel because because of not because you know that they're gonna they're gonna knuckle down and operate the offense and then the you know the things they're gonna start getting things going and stuff like that but more that feel of like they're just going to do it all themselves, <laughs> yeah. you know? And, and I know that's not fair to somebody like Tyreek Hill, who is amazing. And, um, and Travis Kelsey, who is also really good because yeah. it's not all Pat Mahomes himself, but it is generally all his arm in those crunch moments. Uh, whether somebody's hopping out on the other end, which we saw in Miami with Dan Marino's uh, significant receiver uh, talent that he had in his career.
2: Yeah. And and if you remember early on in Marino's career, he had a bunch of tight ends. Yeah, Bruce yep. Hardy, Dan Johnson, Joe Rose. <laughs> okay, yep. he, he had three tight ends that were pretty good because yep. back then you really only had like Todd Christensen and and Kellen Winslow at the end of his career that were like you know the top notch tight ends.
0: But now, now everybody's
3: worried uh, though that this is this signif- this game signifies the start of you know a an even bigger jump forward for offenses in the NFL and, and defense, you know, defense is no more. Um, and, and that's, why well, I, I, I would beg to disagree on that game anyway, because, you know, I, I think you, you mentioned it, like, where were the defenses when they scored so much points? Well, well the defenses were scoring points too. And the, the defense, well,
2: yeah, there, there was, was they, they were
3: making plays and they were scoring points. I didn't think it was a game where the G, defense was non-existent. You know, to me, on the Rams in particular, Aaron Donald was everywhere. Samson Ebicam had a tremendous game. John Johnson, you know, the safety of theirs looked like he was everywhere. Uh, LaMarcus Joyner was doing really well. Um, I, I don't know how Pat Mahomes just continually did it um, because it seemed like a lot of those players in the Rams' defense were playing well. Uh, it just um, Just somehow – you know, a little bit better offense, but they, they got their licks in too. They scored two touchdowns.
2: Yeah. Um, and, and that defense, you know, the two defenses had eight sacks combined They had seven turnovers and they had three defensive touchdowns. So, yeah. so there was plenty yeah. of defense to go around. Yeah, there's some I,
3: defense in there. It was just a, fr- a fantastic game.
2: But yeah, as I was saying earlier, the over under was sixty three and a half, And yeah. you could have gotten that number on bet DSI, our great sponsor. <laughs> and had you bet the over, you would have been counting your money some, sometime around the start of the second quarter, <laughs> it, to be honest. It, although I would have started counting my money, although I didn't bet the game, I would have started counting my money as soon as they kicked off the game because I thought that there was going to be – I even told you in the WhatsApp chat, I think there's going to be 100 points tonight, remember? Yeah. <laughs> there was 105. Well, 105. Well, here's Simon Clancy to tell you about our great sponsor, Bet DSI.
1: We need to talk about our sponsor, BetDSI, who've been with us for months. We are very, very grateful. And as the NCAA and the NFL seasons come towards their conclusion, you can take your pigskin knowledge to the bank with our sponsor, BetDSI.com. They have almost 21 years online and an impeccable reputation for great service and fast payment for your cash. Excellent mobile interface. If you're wandering around aimlessly like 98% of human beings do, looking at their phones all the time, you can play, win, get paid, bet, anytime and to help you get started if you haven't already they're offering double your money on your first deposit so you deposit start winning and get up to two and a half thousand dollars free that's double your money from the get-go so when it comes to anything football ncaa football major league baseball when it starts again ufc the basketball the premier league esports political stuff anything you can bet on brexit and whether it's going to happen or not if you're that inclined i mean you wouldn't be but if you were they've got every wager you could want or imagine if it's happening in sport bet dsi i've got it so join today using promo code yards one zero one that's yards one zero one to get in the action and get paid you can enjoy the games much more when you play at bet dsi dot com and welcome back. Now
3: we're going to talk a little bit about the news of the week. And um, I don't think there's anything that's happened. that's Oh, wait. Uh, Ryan Tannehill is back. And uh, he is going to play in the Indianapolis Colts game this weekend, defying our best predictions uh, and making fools of us all. Not, not really. But um, he is. Uh, Adam Gase announced it today. And he said, Tannehill, this, of course, came right on the heels of an open practice with Ryan Tannehill throwing the ball all over the place. That was not a coincidence. I don't, I did not think. Um, so he showed everybody, you know, that he can throw, he was throwing 10 yards, 20 yards, 30 yards for, you know, he was uh, throwing every distance and showing off for the, for the media and for the crowd showing that he does, have the the strength to get the ball out and uh, and to operate the offense and then afterwards Adam Gase held a press conference and he said uh, he said that Ryan Tannehill is our quarterback for this game um, but I think he said something like I've told Brock Osweiler to make sure he's ready so who knows yeah um, but yeah so that that's huge that's huge news we this this has been a long what, six weeks now um, with the saga with Ryan Tannehill's shoulder and the, uh, the, the, the innuendo and the, um, the mystery and, you know, the, the lack of information and um, you know, all these, all these things. And, uh, and finally, finally he's back. Uh, it's been five games. They went two and three on those, in those five games with Brock Osweiler leading the charge and now they get to have um, their franchise quarterback back for presumably this and the next five games after it. So the final six games of the season, yeah. So this was um, this was a big development. This was you know a lot of rejoicing on Twitter. Um, uh, you know, I, I've got my thoughts on it, but I'll, I'll I'd like to find out yours first.
2: Well, I think it should be a big big boost to the team, and we talked about it earlier. Would they have won three, maybe, out of these five Mm -hmm. games? I don't know. I think uh, it would have been a little bit closer. I think that Green Bay game was there for it to be close late because they had four trips inside the 20-yard line in the first half. Mm -hmm. Then you had the miss to Devontae Parker. Okay, those are five touchdown scoring opportunities that went to zero. They got no touchdowns out of those five touchdown scoring opportunities. Can they get two with Ryan Tannehill? If you believe that they could have gotten two out of those five, then they have a lead late in that game, in that fourth Mm -hmm. quarter. So – because they would have had a big lead at the half. They would have been up over 10 points at the half if they do that. So, I think that game is a little bit closer. The Detroit game, I thought that Osweiler played pretty well, although he had some mistakes. But they had a very slow start to that game. Mm -hmm. If Somehow, by some miracle, although
3: that's that's kind of their mo, right? It is. Out.
2: Although, uh, which is what I was about to say right now. If by some miracle that was the game where they were going to start off fast, it might yeah. change Detroit's disposition. Yeah. Because I agree. If you remember, that,
3: that, that could have changed the flow.
2: Yeah, if you remember that game, Detroit started off throwing it all over the lot mm. and stalling. Then mm. they scored a touchdown, and they figured out, you know, we could just run it down these people's throat the rest of this game. And they decided, you know, we're just going to run the football and, you know, throw efficient passes and beat them that way, and they did. So Mm -hmm. maybe that one's a little bit different. I think the Texans game is probably close a little longer, but they lose anyway.
3: Yeah, that one was – that's a faded loss. You're not going to ever convince me that was not going to be a loss because the defense was just absolutely atrocious um, in that game, and that's not going to change with Ryan Tannehill
2: there. Yeah, so – What are we really talking about here? Maybe a shot in that Packers game. That's the only difference I see. But the difference going forward, I think, is a confidence thing. We were Mm. starting to see a lot of bad body language from guys like Kenyon Drake and Devontae Parker. Although, you know, Devontae Parker's the king of that. But a little (laughs) bit differently in this regard, you know? Like, he was starting to look at his quarterback a little bit differently. And even Kenny Stills a couple of times was doing that that walking back to the huddle thing that sometimes receivers do like the body language is starting to look pretty bad in that green Bay game. Mm -hmm. So they're going to get a confidence boost. And is that enough to get them four wins and get them to nine and give them a shot at the playoffs, which is the bare minimum of what they need. Maybe, but it's better than what they're going to get with Osweiler. Cause with Osweiler, I was prepared to start thinking about six and 10, seven and nine at best. Mm -hmm. now nine wins comes into the the conversation, and seven is probably a disappointment if Ryan Tannehill plays the last six games. And, in fact, I'll say it right now. We go seven and nine with Ryan Tannehill playing the last six games. That's a disappointment. It just is because you got to figure those two wins came against the Bills, and you're supposed to beat the Bills. You're going to be (laughs) double-digit favorites in both games. What if they
3: split against
2: the Bills? Even worse. So – so yeah, so in my opinion, if Ryan Tannehill plays the last six games and they go seven and nine, that's a disappointment. Eight and eight okay. is probably expected, and nine and seven is a pleasant surprise. Ten and six, pop the champagne. Okay, so oh, and eleven and five, bring them back next year with an extension. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
3: eleven and five would be, and uh, um, yeah, that's on un- that's unthinkable. But that that is. That is correct. Uh, actually, that's, um, that's a good, good way to set the, uh, set the uh, sort of the dynamic. I mean, if we are talking about just rattling off six straight wins, then yeah, he is back next year. So Within for those that, I yeah, for those that think it's just impossible uh, that he would be back. Um, no, it certainly is. It's, uh, it's probably impossible that they rattle off the next six wins, but, um, yes. but it is, it is certainly possible. I mean, this, He's gonna get those games to 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 work and to um, to win, and if he if he does it, you never know. Uh, So don't don't write him out, uh, write him off yet. But it's interesting because during this five game stretch, I actually think that there's a better, a slightly better chance that the Dolphins would have went one and four over the stretch with a Ryan Tannehill. Uh, continuing to play as opposed to say three and two or certainly four and one I think it's I think it's a better chance actually that we would have lost that Chicago game because I think you've even talked about like what the Ewing theory is that what that what you call it yeah um, but uh, but the team and the offense sort of rose up in that Chicago game and Brock Osweiler played a fantastic game Better than anything Ryan Tannehill, in my opinion. Better than anything Ryan Tannehill had showed in um, in the previous five games. Even even going back to the uh, to the like the Jets or the I mean the Raiders game was a couple of those touchdowns weren't really even touchdown passes. We know we know that they were end arounds. You know, so I think that that was that was a better game for Osweiler than and sure sure it's possible that Tannehill could have gotten hot at home particularly that's where he is most likely to get hot and have done the same thing in that Chicago uh, game it's possible is it something that we should forecast and expect or did you know kind of did everybody rise up a little bit and rally around to try and step up and help out the backup quarterback I don't know but that Cincinnati game the previous week he was atrocious and he wasn't uh, he was atrocious in the New England game as well the week before so it's it's not out of you know it's not out of the realm of possibility that we would actually lost that Chicago game and uh and then it comes down you know the Detroit game is more what I'm looking at the Packers game I think on the road against Aaron Rodgers who is healthy and playing well um no our defense was Swiss cheese they were not going to stop the Packers enough time enough times for us to actually win that game on the road because all it would have taken is you know yeah we get a halftime lead possibly i doubt it but but we get into the third quarter and maybe it's still it's still close or maybe we're protecting a little bit of a lead. And then it's Aaron Rodgers in his home against our Swiss cheese defense. No, I'm sorry, it doesn't work. So the Texans game would have been a loss. The Packers game would have been a loss. The Jets game would have been a probably more impressive win. you know, And, and there is no doubt that Ryan Tannehill would have done better than Brock Osweiler overall and in general over this this time frame but we're talking about the individual wins and losses, it's possible we would have lost the Chicago game. It's possible we would have you know, gone ahead and lost the Detroit game, or maybe we would have won it. I think the flow of the game is an argument there, especially at home that, um, that you could have made. But as you said, Brock Osweiler kind of played well in that game. I think the big difference is going forward. The big difference is going forward. If Brock Osweiler had continued on, um, this was going to go south. Yes. very quickly and absolutely very terribly i mean it was, this was i don't know if we would have it there's a there's a distinct possibility that things would have self-destructed so bad we didn't even win another game Be, especially after what the buffalo bills showed in last week you know the way they thrashed the jets uh so uh, you know they're all of a sudden resurgent with a new quarterback that somehow is clicking with them you never know uh if we if we were just awful which is what we have been with Brock Osweiler uh, lately, then, um, then we could have, I mean, hell, we could have gone 0-6 to finish this out. So going forward, it is just a remarkably better outlook for the Miami Dolphins than if Brock Osweiler would have continued. Uh, but I do look back and I think about the injury, and I think the shame of it is that Tannehill has this pattern where he he starts out the year kind of slow – and, and struggling a little bit. Happened in 2014, happened in 2016. And then there's like a turning point, and he starts to click. And then he gets into a rhythm. He starts rattling off games. And um, he was he was robbed of that this year because of the injury. He got interrupted uh, during that process, the season-long process. And I wonder if it's just never going to turn now because of it or, or you know maybe he just comes out on a tear the next six games you, you know trying to prove everybody wrong or do whatever because I know that he is motivated in those ways but I don't know I, I think that his, um, his normal you know process of, uh, of, of going through the, the sluggish parts in the beginning of the season then turning up and getting into a rhythm as the season wears on that might have been interrupted, and so I wonder if he's going to play all that well in these last six games. Well, quite frankly, I wonder if he's going to play at all in the last six or play all of the six games. That's a, that's a different issue. But, yeah, that's that's kind of the real loss to me, this, these five games that he missed. Is we wouldn't have necessarily had a better record if Tannehill wasn't there. It's just that these next six games would have gone better if Tannehill had been here for the last five games.
2: Yeah. And as far as like the talent that he's going to have around him, yes, yeah. he is missing Albert Wilson. Yes. He is missing Jakeem Grant, but I don't think Jakeem Grant's a big loss. And I'll tell you why uh, Tannehill just doesn't click with him and that's Tannehill's uh, ball- not really because I think he's a really, really good player. I think Jakeem Grant is a keeper long-term, especially now that his Achilles injury is not bad and he doesn't need any surgery. He's on IR. He'll be back next year. I look forward to seeing him play for many uh, years. But Jakeem um, does score touchdowns. He does. He finds does, a way. He, yeah, he finds a way on an end of round, on, yeah. on a kick return, on a punt return. Yeah. Any of those things are game changers, especially if you're playing a close game. And this is one of those teams that we're playing this week, the Indianapolis Colts, where they may need something extraordinary to win the game. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Jakeem Grant is one of those players that you have on your team that can give you that extraordinary moment, that (laughs) end-around that he just makes one guy miss and goes 40 yards with it, or a punt return or a kick return, either one. So, you know, they might even need a defensive touchdown to win this week. But I think Albert Wilson, that's a loss. That's a really big loss for Ryan Tannehill because you you were starting to see an emergence of – Targets and actual effective play from Albert Wilson from Ryan Tannehill. Those last two games that he played, you were starting to see Albert Wilson get much more incorporated and who knows, maybe the, after these five games, you know, Albert Wilson would have been the clear cut best offensive player on this team. But one thing is for sure. Uh, we have a deeper passing game now, even with his injury, supposedly he was throwing well today and, In practice, Mm -hmm. Uh, the issue is not going to be pain. I heard a lot of people talking about his pain. It's been six weeks, so he doesn't have that sharp pain. He's going to have some soreness when he throws. Like, I'm pretty sure that he is pretty sore today after throwing in practice Mm -hmm. today. Okay? But the issue going forward is going to be strength. And does he lose strength during the week and then regain it with some rest and then gets ready for Sunday? builds up that strength again then depletes himself again you understand what i'm saying yeah. so it's going to be a strength management issue the rest of the year and of course if he takes another injury you know you can forget it if he if he reinjures it he's out for the year it's so well that's okay. so
3: th- isn't that the point though i mean i i think i would have to disagree with you that uh, about the pain not being an issue because they're showing that the pain is an issue because they're they're outright contradicting one another about it. Um, you know, Ryan Tannehill got in front of us, I believe it was on a Friday. Uh, on a Friday, he, he had this press conference and it was a little bit bizarre to see him finally um, and hear him talk about it. And and he made waves in that press conference because he was a little overly candid <laughs> about, yeah. uh, about the challenges of his arm. And uh, I know that it raised more than a few eyebrows, and, including our own. He talked about how much incredible pain he has when he throws, how much incredible pain he has uh, in, his, in his shoulder and his arm when he, um, when he even just lifts it above his head or, or does anything with it. Uh, He he talked about all that. And I know that Dr. David Chow, who used to be the uh, head of medicine at the San Diego Chargers, uh, Stefania Bell, who works for ESPN and um, is is like a sports medicine expert uh, and was on with Ethan Skolnick on the Five Reasons Sports podcast and talked about this extensively. Um, you know, our own uh, sports medicine experts, doctors and, uh, and experts that, that we consult for just just background and, and expertise in this thing, they all looked at what Ryan Tannehill said in that press conference and they were like, whoa, you know, he's, he's talking about quite a bit of pain there uh, and, in, you know, instability in that, uh, in that shoulder. And you know what? You know what ended up happening is uh, a couple days, Monday, I believe it was, Monday after the game, uh, Adam Gase revealed that Ryan Tannehill had thrown on Sunday, and he threw pain-free. Do you really believe that? Two days after Ryan Tannehill was just in, in, in front of everybody uh, talking about how much pain, how much incredible pain he has in his shoulder – when he throws or does anything with it. And then he's throwing on Sunday and supposedly was pain-free in the words of Adam Gase. And then Adam Gase gets in front of everybody in the press conference today and he's asked the question. Uh, I, I, I Forgive me, I do not know who, who in the media. It might have been Joe Shad. I don't recognize everybody's voice uh, yet. Um, somebody asked him, you know, in Gase's, using Gase's own words, uh, is Ryan Tannehill pain-free? when he's when throwing and uh Gase's reply was um if he's not pain-free he's not telling me and and you know that just like I I don't like that answer because very next thing that happened is Ryan Tannehill came out to the to the media and he said no I am not pain-free he said my pain my pain level is tolerable you know I'm I'm it's it's at a tolerable rate, I think he said or something, which tolerable means, you know, a step below intolerable. Um, so and, and he said something along the lines, I don't feel like I'm being stabbed when I throw it, you know, and, and if I'm thinking like, you know, on the hospital board where they have the one to 10 and the smiley faces and like that, <laughs> yeah. that turn into like frowny faces and crying faces like which one of those is being stabbed. Okay, somewhere south of that. You know, that's, that's, that's where he's at. That That's a pretty wide range, and that's not pain-free.
2: Well, and I can, tell, uh, I can tell you from a little bit of, of experience in this, at the moment when it happens and a week later, yeah, it feels like if you're getting stabbed every time you make any motion with your arm. Six weeks later, the pain is really, really, really subdued, and it's more of about you get like a sting or I would say a burning sensation and a soreness that feels like slight pain that I think is managed by pharmaceuticals I would say well I, I don't I, I'm, what I'm, the point I'm getting at is that when when Dr.
3: David Chow, for example heard that Ryan Tannell talk about the pain and Stefania Bell said the same thing, they said that this the pain that they're talking about is your body telling you that your your shoulder's not stable enough yet and that there's risk if you continue. And, um, and so, you know, I brought up today, just on Twitter, just today, I brought up uh, afterwards, I said that there's a bit of a disconnect here, because Adam Gase is saying uh, that, well, if he's not pain free, he's not telling me and then Ryan Tannehill gets up and says, I am not pain free, and says, uh, and says that his pain level is at a toler- quote unquote, tolerable rate, and that he doesn't feel like he's being stabbed anymore uh when he when he throws the ball um you know dr david chow said if he's still experiencing pain i think the risk is too great to have him out there but you know it looks like they're going forward with it anyway that's what that's what dr david chow said on twitter just today uh in response to that and um and you know i just i just wonder about that because it seems a little bit like you know whenever i hear gaze he's always talking about uh, Ryan Tannehill's feedback you know he's putting the the prime importance on the feedback and um, he's almost kind of implying at times that like like he's he doesn't trust players to give feedback like he talked about Cameron Wake he's like Cameron Wake's a guy that I trust like when he gives me that feedback when when he says he's ready to go and he's not feeling well, I don't pain play, I, don't you know, I know
2: because uh, football players are the biggest liars in, yeah in professional sports
3: Right. So, so, I mean, like Adam Gase keeps talking about this as like the primary thing is about Tannehill's feedback, but you know, like, what is he hearing from Tannehill? Is he even asking the question or is he not, is he, you know, don't ask questions that you don't want to know the answer to because, you know, he gets out there and says, well, Tannehill's not telling me that he's not pain-free. And then Tannehill gets out there and says, I am not pain-free, you know, so that's, you know, what, are you really asking the questions? Are you really hearing, uh, your player on this, um, I, I I don't know. It could be a point of, it's something to watch because if this all goes if this all goes tits up because Ryan Tannehill takes a hit or something like that and it gets worse, then it could get ugly because they're they are being according to Dr. David Chow and Stefania Bell, they're being aggressive about how how quickly he comes back, and you know and of course our our people suggest the same thing that he they're being aggressive, uh how quickly uh Ryan Tannehill comes back. And so, you know, if there's this disconnect about, you know, well Tannehill's not telling me that he has any pain and Tannehill's like, yeah, I am, um, then <laughs> then, you know, what's what's gonna happen if they do if he does take an awkward hit, somebody tries to tear his arm off like Carlos Dunlap did. And, and, you know, the, this goes, like, what happens with the contract and, and, you know, really murky stuff like that next off offseason? Uh, I don't know. And, you know, the other thing I don't know is, you know, if he does play all six games and they lose a lot, then that puts Gaze even further on the hook and even more likely to get dismissed. Because at the end of the day, you're going to look at it and say, well, yeah, you, you spent some time without Tannehill. You probably wouldn't have won much more even with Tannehill during those five games um you know what are you complaining about you should have done better than this uh so you know this is this is it, pins and needles <laughs> that's yes, that's that's, a, that's what this is for me
2: absolutely although I can add and I guess this is I don't know I wouldn't call this breaking news it's just what I've heard mm-hmm. is that Adam Gase doesn't really have to worry about his job for next year
3: yeah I mean I've heard I've heard the same thing I just I just think that um you know, things change and the season is always longer than you think it is. And, yes, it is. you know, a half a season or a third of a season is always longer than you think it is. It can be one game that takes you from, oh yeah, he's safe to, uh, I don't know about that.
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: You know, yeah. I mean, it's. Especially sometimes. if they look bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you, you never really know. I'm I'm just saying like now we're in like, we're into some, we're in some murky territory now, I think for the rest of the year. Um for Adam Gase and for the coaching staff and this team, like, like they're on the hook, I think. And, um, and it'll be interesting to see how it goes. I think, I know that they're very optimistic and they should be because Tannehill is, as I think Joe Shad pointed out earlier today, um, like 10 and three in his last 13 starts. So they should be optimistic. They should be going in like, Hey, we're going to win this game. I don't care if we're, you know, we're not, you know, we, we, they're favored by nine points or whatever it is um yeah. well if anything
2: win. if anything the interest is back into this season of course all of that could go away if they lose but if they win this game on on sunday we're talking about a serious uptick in interest going yes forward. absolutely if they win
3: it's bad. oh boy
2: yeah yeah like if they win i i don't want to say the p word but playoffs yeah.
3: Well, you start to talk about it because this is a must-win for that scenario, I yeah, think.
2: It, I, I believe that this game on Sunday is a loser-go-home game. Pretty much. Well, we got to go to break. But before we go to break, very briefly, Zach Thomas, a semifinalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Your thoughts? It's thought about time.
3: It should have already thought. happened, right? I mean, there's... He should have
2: been gone. in last year,
3: period. He should have been in last year. Uh, he should have been... I. You know, you know my thoughts on this. It, he should be a first ballot Hall of Famer, uh, in my opinion. And if you do, if you look at and tally up the All Pro, uh, the All Pro births, the Pro Bowl births, I mean, he's got those. Um, I think that for all, a, you know, basically a decade, there was basic, there everybody was talking about three guys essentially: Ray Lewis, Zach Thomas, and Brian Urlacher. Mm-hmm. And there's something to be said for the fact that everybody knew that Zach Thomas was not even close to as physically gifted as those guys. And he did it by just being smarter than everybody else. And, and, you know, for all it's like, bottom line is not who's smarter. It's about who's the best. I understand that. But the fact that he was smarter than everybody, than, than everybody and could do those things and make up for his physical shortcomings, literal shortcomings, um, that, I think what it did is it made the Dolphins' defense, entire defense, better. Absolutely. Uh, and in a way that maybe the other guys couldn't. Like the other guys could play better individually. He could play. He could get the entire group playing better because of his observations. I mean, Chan and Crowder talked about it. I, I think. Um, I think with our our guys with uh, with OJ and and um, on the fish tank, and he talked about how Zach would, you know, basically tell him, you know, when, when they show this, then go crash this, uh, this gap, you know, don't ask questions, just do it. (laughs) And, and it was because, you know, it was because he knew that offensive coordinator um, from a decade ago, he saw, you know, his, his run tendencies uh, and had them in his notebooks. And so, you know, that he made the defense better. I think some of those guys in play, you know, played individually really well. And he, he helped make, he helped build a defense.
2: Well, Peyton Manning tells the story once where he went into a halftime and had to bitch out the offensive coaches because he was running out there all of the first half. And he was like, he was telling everybody, Zach Thomas knows every single thing that we're running. And then he knows the audibles that I'm calling. <laughs> so you guys got to start right. changing some of the terminology and start changing some of the looks because yes. he knows everything that is coming.
3: I think well, Peyton's he, always been playing. That hasn't he? Hasn't he always said that That's like the best defensive player I have played against.
2: Yes, he said though. He said so in an interview when as as he was retiring. Uh, they were, they asked him, and you know that that interviewer expected Ray Lewis. Oh yeah, or, yeah. or Richard Seymour or Ty Law, yeah.
3: something like that. Or even Jason Taylor would have been a shout, right? Yeah, right. You know,
2: but no, Jason he Dak Thomas was the best defensive player I ever played against. Yeah. Well. When we come back, we will talk about the Indianapolis Colts and what really is a loser go home game for the Miami Dolphins. But first, these words. This week on the Five Reasons podcast, we put out four new episodes with John Krasinski on the Jimmy Butler Miami Heat Trade Talks. There are people within the Wolves organization that think the Heat were as responsible for that falling apart as the Wolves were.
0: With Tom Haberser on the NBA. I was introducing Eric Spolster, the coach of the Miami Heat, and I say, hey, Eric, this is uh, my boss, John. John, this is Eric. And Ira walks by and goes, oh, congrats on your new job, Tom. Another one? <laughs> what, next week? <laughs> next week you're going to have another one? With former Dolphins quarterback
2: Sage Rosenfields on his post-playing political work.
3: Well, after I retired, I counted how much money I had. I knew what my budget was, and at one point, I realized I had few money, and I didn't give a what people thought about what my politics were.
0: And on the Dolphins' win over the Jets, it is the worst offense in Dolphin history. They had guys named Dick Wood playing quarterback (laughs) before Greasy got here. Literally, his name is Dick Wood. Look it up. He's not. That's that's not true. Catch this and much more on the five
2: reasons podcast available in the same places you're listening to this podcast. Hey, this is Seth Levitt, and I am here with two-time Miami Dolphins team MVP. Seth,
0: Seth, Seth, man. They already know this is O.J. McDuffie. Why don't you tell them what we're really here for?
2: We're excited to join the crew at the Five Reasons Sports Network to bring you our new podcast, The Fish Tank, Dolphins' Tales from
0: the Deep. O.J., tell them what they can expect when they dive in. Yeah, Big Seth, we've got some of your favorite all-time Dolphin players in the tank sharing some of the best stories that you've never heard. So it looks like Sasquatch because
3: <laughs> he's chasing it. <laughs> because you, you know Izzo with his clothes on. Huh? He's so hairy, that guy. <laughs> (laughs) Wait,
1: why are you looking at me like I know Lizzo with his clothes
0: off? Seth
2: with his clothes off. (laughs) So make sure you find the fish tank on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or if you're one of those Android people, Google Play Music, or on several cross-platform apps, including Podbean and Stitcher. Thanks for diving in. And we're back on three yards per carry, and we will talk about the Indianapolis Colts this Sunday's game, which is a loser go home game for the Miami Dolphins. But first, there was an article written by Barry Jackson where he talked about how the Dolphins could become pretty big players this offseason by clearing up a ton of cap space. Tell our listeners how that could happen.
3: Chris. First off, I know that Barry kind of attacked this from the standpoint of the one-year cap space, and I know that that's sort of what everybody looks at, and it's not what I look at just because I know that the accounting – for the salary cap uh, with as many accounting accruals as they use. And I'm a finance guy, so, uh, you know, I I have a, quite the background in, in all this. The the salary cap situation uh, of any individual year is entirely manipulable. Uh, and so you can move cap space forward. You can move cap space backward. You can use all kinds of devices to, um, to create... Uh, Cap space. What it ultimately boils down to is you're going to have uh, salary caps over time, like 180 million dollars this year and 190 the next year, and, and such. They're going to give you that. That's what they give you. That's your budget, and um and you just got to s- not spend more cash than that every year. That's uh, that's the way it is. If you're spending to that or under that, then you're going to be fine, and it doesn't really matter what the um the the salary cap accounting looks like in any individual year because you can iron it out. Um, so I look at the cash, uh, situation and they're only scheduled to dish out about $134 million or something like that, uh, worth of cash next year. And 60 million of it can be cleared up, you know, fairly. I don't want to say easily, but uh, we're talking about players that they're probably going to do without, um, well, at least it, it, a lot of it hinges on Ryan Tannehill because he has $19 million due to him. So if you get rid of Ryan Tannehill and $19 million, you get rid of Robert Quinn, I think he's due $12 million. You get rid of Devontae Parker's due like $9.4 million. You get due. You get rid of Andre Branch, who is due $7 million. You get rid of TJ McDonald, who is due $5 million. And by the way, uh, 3.6 of it is guaranteed, so you would think that they can't really release him but it's subject to offset language and he's a young guy he's like 27 years old he's a physical specimen he's having a a pretty good year statistically he's going to get more than 3.6 million dollars on the open market so that means that the the guaranteed salary will offset Miami won't be charged anything you know guys like Daniel Kilgore and Ted Larson free up a little bit you can you can free up 60 million dollars of payroll basically uh and and end up with only like a 73 or 74 million dollar payroll for 20 um 2019 versus a salary cap that is expected to be something like what 190 million dollars so we're talking about a 120 million dollar shortfall uh from a cash standpoint now that's not the salary cap but as i said that's totally manipulable so um so that's a lot of room that's a lot of room to do stuff uh to where you don't have to feel guilty uh, about spending that money um you know and so that's striking to me it's right they would have a lot of holes in the team and they would need to to actually fill those holes and spend money in order to do it but um but it is it it was surprising to me what kind of shape they could be in that way and you know yeah they have overspent the salary caps uh in in the last five years a little bit by about 18 million dollars um so they've got a little bit of come up but they could they could even they could even make up for that and then still have a ton of room next year. So it's it's pretty it's pretty interesting. They could be spenders surprisingly, even though everybody
2: thinks that you know Tannenbaum has put the team in cap hell and all that. And I was I was saying this earlier uh, on Twitter. There seems to be a consensus on Twitter that Mike Tannenbaum is the guy that should be fired first <laughs> of every of all the all three of them. seems to be a lot of evidence growing that he's pretty good at his job
3: well I think that um they approach the salary cap from everything that I've seen they approach the salary cap with a um definitely like a financial mind uh and you know there are there are certain things that you can look at that that sort of as a finance guy and if you understand leverage and and stuff like that then you kind of key on and you're like, oh, I, I, I know how they're thinking about this. And, and that, that makes sense, actually. Uh, I think what ended up happening that's really thrown them for a little bit of a loop lately is they didn't, they didn't anticipate having to spend all of a sudden $12 million on Jay Cutler um, because, because Ryan Tannehill went down in camp last year. Uh, or you know during that scrimmage, um, and then couldn't play the rest of the year. And then simultaneously, according – I know that Dave Hyde of the South Florida Sunset Law has reported on this, but Matt Moore had a dead arm <laughs> at that time. Like, he'd only yeah. been in training camp a couple, several weeks, and already his arm was tired and he had a dead arm. So they were like, there is no way Matt Moore is going to survive the season as the starter now that Tannehill is down permanently for the year. You know, so so they had to go out and get somebody. And the guy that was out there that Gase already had experience with was Jay Cutler, so they convinced him to come out of retirement and they gave him eleven, twelve million dollars. And that that blew a hole in them. That they weren't anticipating that. They're they're managing this, you know, kind of um, scientifically or, you know, very much on schedule and that, that was an off schedule thing. And so it probably caused them to have to lose in Dominican Sue, to be honest.
2: Yeah. Well, we're going to move on to the Indianapolis Colts. And four or five, five weeks ago, they were one and five. And we were all thinking that this game coming up this Sunday was going to be, I want to say a cakewalk, but a very winnable game. Well, since then, they've run off four in a row, and they look like a pretty good football team. But here are their wins, and you tell me what you make of it. They beat Buffalo at home 37 to 5. They beat Oakland on the road, 42-28, and that was with a flurry of touchdowns late. They beat Jacksonville at home, 29-26, and they beat Tennessee 38-10, which I think is their best win out of the four. Although Gosh, that
3: looks like a Dolphins schedule.
2: It does, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and they did beat Tennessee with you know without Mariota. He left the game around halftime, I believe, and mm-hmm. then it was just a beatdown since then. But putting that aside... Yes, it's a pretty crappy schedule that they're winning games against. Mm-hmm. This team, to me, looks like a pretty good football team, and this is not going to be an easy spot for the Dolphins. What do you make of it?
3: They were favored by ten, and I think the Tannehill news probably moved it uh, a point or two. It's um, at eight
2: and a half right now.
3: Eight and a one half. So it moved out. it about. I thought it was ten and a half at one point. I know some some books had a ten. Um. Actually, it's interesting because if you recall, when when we reported that uh, Tannehill was not going to play against the Bears on Saturday, um, the line was one thing, and then overnight the line moved, and it was it was pretty much exactly those two points. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when, when it started to be digested that Ryan Tannehill was not going to play in this game, the line moved two points. And now today, on today's big news, and it was somewhat surprising news, I think, you know, it moved two, two points. So, um, so that, that seems to be what Vegas thinks anyway, that Ryan Tannehill is worth relative to a Brock Osweiler, which I think is interesting. Um, but you know, they're, they're favored in this game by quite a bit and I can see why they are hot. You know, it was against an, an easy schedule, but <laughs> we're, we're kind of part of that easy schedule, right? I mean, that yeah. that's, we're, we haven't done very well lately. We're very banged up. Um, you know we're running out of options. I think uh, uh in the pass catching or, or the receiving department with Albert Wilson gone, is Devontae Parker even going to play in this game? He's got the, he's got the AC it's joint.
2: Looking like he's going to play.
3: You think you think so?
2: Well, he I mean, said never,
3: never, yes. never count him out for disappointment.
2: Yeah, um, which is which is which is really odd that Devontae Parker himself is saying, oh, I'm playing this week. Yeah. So, which is uh, i would say it's extremely odd maybe maybe his agent got in his ear and told him hey man you know there's yeah 4 million dollars out there maybe you want well to- you know
3: what we mentioned this before um his contract next year that 9.4 million dollars is injury guaranteed so uh if if he gets hurt <laughs> you know in a major way i wonder about i wonder about that i wonder if there's a bit of a tug of war that way yeah. Uh, where somebody wants to play and somebody just not so sure that they want him to play. So we'll see, you know, I, I don't know. I, it, it doesn't, doesn't to me feel like a, uh, a favored situation for the dolphins, just getting back into the swing of things. I will personally believe that Tannehill has his old velocity back when I see it for myself and I, and I measure it myself and, and, you know, I can be satisfied that that's, that's what's occurring. I don't, I don't personally think that that's going to happen. That's just my personal opinion. Um, so we'll see. I but I I don't think this is a, this is a game that Miami should be favored in.
2: Okay, now let me let's go over some of their players. There was one guy in particular where I think saying that you didn't like him all that much is is a little is a bit strong. But you weren't head over heels over him. But this is Who's an that? offensive lineman that. Has an actual highlight film on YouTube, and that's Quentin Nelson. This guy's good. Uh, he's good, Chris. Uh, maybe. <laughs> well, well, he's is a. I've he wasn't earlier in ex- the year. He I've wasn't earlier
3: in the year, but I haven't watched any of his last like five games.
2: Well, I haven't seen a more often a more exciting left guard in the history of pro football. <laughs> Let me just well, say that maybe that's Steve Hutchinson. Maybe like, an overstatement. <laughs> well the guy is running 80 yards down the field on screens okay in dead sprints trying to find people to hit he's excited yeah well jamie nails that one year that was something else
3: no i'll be honest i saw his first four games of the year and i did not see any of his last you know five or six or whatever so i i don't know i don't know what he what he's been doing in the last uh six games uh or last five games, or whatever. I In the first four games, he was not impressive. Um, but that's rookies. Rookies are what they – rookies improve. Um, well, and um, I expect that he I, would I'm eventually.
2: Pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that both of us respect Jeff Schwartz's opinion on these matters. He's I do, had-
3: but at the same time, he's been, he's been you know, clearly, clearly Quentin Nelson man for a very long time. And he's I don't head know. head over
2: heels over him.
3: Yeah, I don't know that we're really getting, I mean, I, at this point, it's like, you know, it'd be like listening to me talk about Patrick Mahomes. I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, Patrick Mahomes, we all know he's playing really well. But, you know, that's my boy. That's, that's my son. And that's, that's kind of how it feels like with Jeff Schwartz and Quentin Nelson.
2: Yeah, and another rookie on that team. And this is a guy that we had on our draft special. We called out his name. We said he should be a target for the Dolphins. Well, it wouldn't have been such a bad thing, although I think we're pretty happy with Jerome Baker. Yeah, But had we not had Jerome Baker fall to us and drafted him and we would have gotten our hands on Darius Leonard, I think we would have been just as happy because he's having a hell of a year for the New Yeah, Jackson. he's having a good year.
3: I saw him play initially again I have not looked at the Colts during their their good streak uh, essentially which is which is a shame but uh, but you know I saw him play initially and he looked you know he had some good plays in pass rush clearly uh, on on the blitz uh, the few times that they had blitzed him and um, and I kind of thought that was a little bit dubious because it kind of it goes it, it's it goes like in spurts. That that pass rush success for a linebacker when you're, when you're blitzed, very very good against the run. He was killing it against the run. Uh, and then in coverage, he was he was actually not good at all. Like he was quite terrible. And that's why I thought, you know, hey, he's doing really well and he's making plays and stuff like that. But if you're gonna ask me, would I rather have him or would I rather have Jamar, Jerome Baker right now? I'm still going to say Jerome Baker, because Jerome Baker, I know, has the coverage chops and has the potential to, you know, to really make a difference in the ways that the NFL defenses need you to make a difference now uh, as a a linebacker, especially in nickel. And I'm not sure if Darius Leonard does that, but he's really turned it up. So, uh, you know, that may be that may be not fair.
2: Okay. Uh, one guy that was very highly touted when he came out and he's finally getting into, into the swing of things and actually playing is Malik Cooker. Now, he mm-hmm. missed the Tennessee Titans game. I have watched him play. Yeah. But he's looked every bit of the part of the guy that they drafted.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I can believe that. 15, 15th overall. He he can play. And I don't think he play, but he runs sideline on the sideline, making plays everywhere. Uh, he had a twelve tackle game against New England, where he was really all over the place. I don't know if you remember that game. Mm-hmm. That was the that uh, Thursday night game, which they really didn't have any hope. They ended up losing 38-24. But uh, if you watched that game, he was especially good in that game, and he was he was actually guarding a, a White out of the backfield. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where I started noticing, like, okay, this this guy is his back. He's back from from what was like a short hiatus because he only played seven games in his rookie year. And everybody was wondering, okay, maybe this guy was a bust because he didn't flash all that much in the seven games that he played. Although he did have three interceptions, but he went from kind of an afterthought to man, we we really hit on this pick. He is going to be key in this game. How Hmm. do, how do the dolphins attack him? Can he be as susceptible to King and Drake out of the backfield? We're going to say this one more time this week.
1: <laughs>
2: what are his weaknesses going
3: forward? Well, I don't know. What do you think?
2: I, th- I think he's – I watched him against New England. He didn't look like a guy that you can attack with a running back out of the backfield. Now, can you get him, you know, to move out? Because he does play a lot of single high. Can you get him yeah, to I mean, I,
3: out? It doesn't seem like he would be, you know – uh, relevant to that uh, that strategy to begin with because you're yeah. playing
2: so single high. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that if Devontae Parker plays, you're gonna see a ton of eleven personnel because for whatever reason, Adam Gase loves Tannehill and his eleven personnel. It's, it's
3: what they plays. use eight, you know over eighty percent of the time. We're, we we yeah. should I'm not even gonna talk about twelve personnel <laughs> as if it's gonna come out anymore. It's yeah, it's, exactly. No, it's it's done. It's you know there, I don't – quite frankly, I don't know why they don't just do what the Rams do and play uh, play 11 personnel like over, you know, 90,
2: 95% of the time now. You know, just, yeah, get, if, if just get it like over
3: guy, with. Just yeah. stop even trying to pretend.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he doesn't look like a guy that you could particularly, you know, want to attack or even mm. game plan for. Their defense looks difficult to game plan against. And I don't know if this is the greatest spot for Ryan Tannehill. I think I'm going to have to rely on when I make my pick, you know, spoiler alert on their <laughs> schedule being fool's gold, but yeah, that defense is pretty, pretty damn good. And they have plenty of nice players like Jabal Sheard was a guy that we always liked and mm. Clayton Gathers is a hell of a player. Kenny Moore's had a good year. So yeah, they're, they're a decent defense, but on the offensive side of the ball, That's where they have their stars. And we know T.Y. Hilton's a pain in the ass. Okay. But Andrew Luck, he's absolutely back. I don't care who's on their schedule. You just look at the arm strength. You look at the throws he's making. That's the old Andrew Luck. That's the one that everybody was saying was going to be an elite quarterback. He is back. He's, I wouldn't say elite, but near elite. He belongs in that second tier at least for sure. And there was a moment there where we weren't, we were trying to decide whether Andrew Luck or Ryan Tannehill was going to be the better quarterback going forward. Well, one of the things that we were using for using for saying that Ryan Tannehill was going to be better was that Andrew Luck was injury-prone. <laughs> well, that yeah. came back to blow up in our face. Andrew Luck is now clearly the better quarterback. He's second tier. What have you seen from him in the games you've seen him play? In my opinion, he is completely all the way back.
3: I think he's. I think he's been fantastic. I think that they can use tight ends against our um, against our defense, maybe a little bit more. I mean, Eric Eric Ebron Ebron or Ebron, whatever, uh, however you pronounce it, um, and and Jack Doyle. Uh, you know, if they if they both play in this game, which I'm I'm sure they will. I, I haven't heard anything that would suggest that they're not going to. They're the they're they're not the guys that Miami wants to see because Miami. I I, don't, I think this is. I think this is in part schematically. This isn't just about because Jerome Baker is a good player and Kiko Alonso is having a good year, um, but Miami cannot cover these tight ends. Uh, they ju- they just can't. They're, it's schematically, it's a bad fit for them. And so you know, Andrew Andrew Luck really excels at using those guys, and I, I think that that's um, that's going to be bad news for Miami. Um, you know, speaking of defense, I mean, when you were talking about. Um, Malik Cooker. I mean yeah Malik Cooker is is going to be an issue um, but that defense has a lot of bad or that defensive secondary has a lot of bad players in it or, or at least players that don't play really well so I, I think there's 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 hay to be made there um, Clayton Gathers is you know turns like a barge at times uh, I, I, I liked him coming out but you know his his weaknesses were clear and you're looking at Kenny Moore who's, you know, not great in pass coverage and I don't know who's gonna whether probably Quincy Wilson. Quincy Wilson is a good was a good prospect coming out, but he's one of those bigger corners. Yeah. And he's one of those bigger corners that you can hit with, you know, um with some speed and some uh you know, some quickness. And I think that uh Kenny Stills could absolutely do that. Uh, this isn't the guy that's going to follow Danny Amendola into the slot. Uh, that's going to be more Kenny Moore's job. And I think Danny Amendola's got him and, um, you know, that's, so we'll see. Um, Pierre Desir is, is a legit player and, and obviously Malik Hooker, but, uh, but a lot, there's a lot going on in that secondary that, that Miami could take advantage of, you know, if they're, if they're really on it and if Hill's on, um, but as for the offense, you know, at this point, they're scoring so much. But yeah, you, you do have to worry about the offense, um, you know, and, and those tight ends. It's the tight ends that really that get me. It's the tight ends that scare me. And the I mean, the, they'll do damage with the backs as well. But um, uh, but the tight ends, I, I just don't. I just know, don't know that we're going to have an answer for that, uh, for the tight ends or the, uh, the backs out of the backfield or the, um, the,
2: the slot receivers. What's interesting is that we've been talking about tight ends beating our defense for three years going now. Yeah. <laughs> and you got to think that they know the same thing that we know and the same thing that anybody with two eyes knows, which is doesn't matter who the hell the tight end is. Actually, Rob Gronkowski probably does the worst out of all the tight ends that we face it, when you <laughs> think about it. And Somehow. if you look at the actual numbers, because I think Gronk has had like one monster game against us his, whole, his entire career. The rest have been okay for his standards. But all of these obscure tight ends, and I don't think these two guys are obscure because I think they're, they're – I think Jack Doyle is really good. And mm. he's just been injured. He's been injured all year this year. Now he's finally healthy, so he's back into the offense. And they actually start two, that two tight ends. That's their, mm. their starting unit. Starting twelve personnel. First snap of the
3: game, they only play two tight ends. They only play twelve personnel twenty percent of the time. You well, know they pretty, are they are a three high. wide receiver. That's What's pretty
2: that? high, isn't it? No, that, no, that, not really. Who runs the I mean, most twelve personnel?
3: Uh, the the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, they because because they use yeah, at, uh, and Ertz. You know Dallas Godard and and Zach Ertz. Yeah, so they use them quite a bit. Baltimore uses twelve personnel quite. A, uh, actually, Houston uses it uh, the second most. Uh, of anybody and, and used it so well against us and brought and took Binka Fitzpatrick off the field which we should have anticipated and uh and didn't um or maybe they didn't didn't care I don't know um but yeah so Indianapolis uses a lot of 11 personnel there an 11 personnel team just like most other teams in the league uh they'll use some um 12 personnel uh and they use it really well they have 126 passer rating out of 12 personnel you know, bad news for us because we suck at defending that. So you know, that's uh, that's another that's another issue, really. I guess with with facing this team, is that they may not use it a bunch, but they um they clearly are good at using it. We allow like 118 passer rating against 12 personnel, and they have like 126 passer rating against, you know, out of 12 personnel. So that's that's a match made in hell for us. You know bad defense versus good offense uh, so we'll see how that goes uh, we've supposedly got an answer now to keep to keep Minka Fitzpatrick on the field at all times and base uh, and I know they mix it up he's been playing a lot of outside corner late, lately which is really intriguing I, you know going forward on a you know planning for the future basis we're gonna have to really talk about that but um, yeah I, I don't know the, the the matchups doesn't don't necessarily excite me here. And um, and at the same time, you know the 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 narratives, the the timing, and Tanhill just coming back—is he really? Does he really have strength? We'll see. Is he going to be a little bit cold after having spent so much time down? I don't. We'll see. I don't know. There's a reason Vegas has him favored by like eight and a half.
2: All right. Well, before we go to predictions, give me your path to victory in this game. How can they? What does a win look like?
3: A win looks okay. like the three corners, the three corners of um, of Miami's defense just being absolutely dominant against whatever they try to do with Tui Hilton or you know Chester Rogers and and um, and Dontrell Inman and and then you know Kiko Alonso having a good game, you know as we've seen him do. He he can he can have a good one. Yeah. Uh, Jerome Baker will be himself, but if Kiko Alonso is having a really good game and they're shutting down, you know Marlon Mack and those corners are doing their work, then um, Miami will, with Tannehill back, I'm, I'm not sure if he has the strength or not, but with Tannehill back, they're going to be able to score some points now, even on the road, and uh, and especially against that defense with the challenging secondary, or you know opposite of challenging, I guess, secondary that they have for the most part. So, so we'll be able to score some points. It's going to be a matter of those three corners you know, just dominating. If those three corners can dominate, Michael Fitzpatrick, Bobby McCain, and uh, and Xavier Howard, they have it in them. We know that. Then, yeah, th- this could absolutely be a win.
2: Okay. I see it much the same way, but with one caveat. Uh, I've been saying it for weeks. Give the ball to King and Drake. He's really your <laughs> best offensive player. Uh, can we get him 25 touches? Why not? You know? I understand that Frank Gore has played well this year, but uh, if you want to win anything, you're going to you're gonna need some cheap touchdowns because this team can't go 12 plays over and over again to score. So they're going to have to break one here or there. And Kane Drake is your best bet to do that. So I still think that they might need a defensive touchdown or even a special teams touchdown mm. to win this game.
3: All right. And the w- reason I worry about that is just because they're so su- such a good run defend. They have such such good run defense prowess, you know. Yeah. And I wonder if if, if you head in with that mindset, you, you know, you are probably you might be slamming right into the teeth of the defense. Whereas, you know, hey, you have got Tannehill back. Just go balls to the wall, man, and and go for it and see what you got. <laughs> you know, and yeah, it might pay I, off for you.
2: But I don't think that we want to play a fast-paced game against this team, especially when they're feeling themselves after these four weeks. Yeah. So, I think you want to shorten the game. And, yeah, maybe it's boring, but you shorten mm-hmm. the game, give yourself a chance to win in the fourth quarter, you know, try some shot plays, try, just try to get a cheap one somewhere. Find well, God it.
3: forbid we actually do some two tight end sets and, and you know, <laughs> and and use 12 personnel and stuff like that and um and try and victimize their past defense that way yeah.
2: uh like that would make a we're lot not
3: going of to sense. but we
1: should
2: yeah that would make a lot of sense okay all right prediction time chris let us have it
3: well this is uh as i've probably uh alluded to and um given you impression of i'm not going to pick miami to win this uh which is Sad to say, because uh, I'm I'm not in one with my Dolphins prediction this year. So um, I'm going to say that this is you know a good a good 27-17 loss. I, not not really not not a butt whipping. I think that um, I think that Miami is in danger. Like probably one out of three whenever they go on the road of just absolutely getting destroyed. I don't think this game is going to be that way, but I don't necessarily think it's going to be a nail biter either.
2: Okay. I'm going to lean on that Indianapolis Colts schedule, which is pretty weak. Okay. And I'm going to say that this is the best secondary that Andrew Luck has faced all year and they rise up. They play up to expectations and Andrew Luck has an average game. Tannehill returns scores enough to give the Miami dolphins a win and return some interest to this team. I said I think the Dolphins win 24-23 on a Jason Sanders field goal. <laughs> All right. Shout B? out to the rookie. He's been very good, hasn't he? Yes, he has. Now, a lot of that prediction has to do with, you know, looking forward and a lot of wishful thinking. But people like to make excuses for the Dolphins schedule. Why not make excuses for the Indianapolis Colts schedule too? <laughs> All right. So that's it. There is no more. See you next week as it's, we go back to our normal schedule. Have a very happy Thanksgiving. But till then.
3: Thanks for listening to
1: 3 Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider.